Uh, because Paul, sort of, or Luke rather, who writes Acts, leaves a lot open-ended. And it's hard to have uh, what feels like a disappointing ending to uh, what's such a powerful, powerful story. That almost reminds me of the show Lost. Um, any Lost fans uh, here from the time? Was, there's like two of us left. It's probably because you like saw it's a few episodes early on were great. And the more you watch the show, like the more disappointing it, it became. I love, I love the show. It had, uh, it was really mysterious. It told powerful stories. Uh, it's, you know, it had all these sorts of mysteries. And it made you wonder, like, what? like what's going to happen in the end? What's, how's this all going to tie together? And what's the conclusion going to be? And by the time we got, like, halfway through the last season, it was clear. Like, they had no idea how they were going to finish the story. And no idea how to, like, close some of these loops. And they didn't try to, like, close any of them. And, and so Lost, it started with... A plane crash, that's how the show, it started with a literal plane crash, and it, it ended with a narrative plane crash, because they had no idea how to end the story. So many open loops, so many open questions, and that's kind of how Acts, the book of Acts ends. That for the last, like, really several chapters in Acts, you get the story of Paul going to Rome. He's, he, was, uh, he was arrested in Jerusalem. He appealed to Caesar, which meant uh, he... He was going to have to go to Rome and have a trial before Caesar. And so he has this long, arduous journey to Rome. He gets to Rome. He's under house arrest in Rome. And we're left wondering, what's going to happen? Is he going to die? Is, what's he going to say before Caesar? What's going to happen? And, and Luke has Paul sort of preaching and almost just ends Acts mid-sermon with Paul. No questions answered. No open loops tied uh, to, 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 together. And, and Luke just ends with this openness. And I've always wondered why. Why does Luke not land the plane? Why does he not end the question or answer the questions we, we have? And I want to think that out together this morning. Why Luke ends Acts, and not just Acts, he actually wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, which he clearly wanted us to read together. He ends his writing with this very open ended conclusion. So I want to think about this. Why leave it? So open ended. He's not the author of, of loss. Okay, he's not, those guys didn't know what they were doing. Luke, like he wrote, well, listen, if you're a Christian, you believe he's inspired by God, so he wrote this very intentionally. And even if you're not a Christian, like Luke contributed to the best selling book, the Bible, of all time. So, like, he knows what he's doing. He's a good, he's a good writer. So, why does he do this? Um, and I want to start by, by the first reason Luke sort of li- leaves this open ended is he wants to make clear to us that nothing, nothing stops Jesus. And so he ends by saying, Paul is proclaiming the kingdom of God, verse 31, and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now, like, not to be a stickler here, but Paul, like, Paul's in prison, which prison feels like a hindrance, right? And yet Luke says, no, it's not. Paul is preaching the gospel without hindrance. And that's, that's just, that's fascinating to me. And you think about, like, the history of the church or the mission of God in the world, it feels like there's always hindrances. Uh, just this week, I got an email from our global partners in, in China who are, who have been saying for some time they're increasingly concerned of, of increased persecution there. And one, a Chinese leader I, I spent a lot of time with who uh, tried to teach me how to eat noodles with chopsticks uh, which just feel, that just feels like a non-starter, doesn't it? But they could, like, Chinese people could eat uh, noodles with chopsticks. It's amazing. But he tried to teach me. It didn't work. I couldn't do it. I can't even eat, like, pick up anything with chopsticks, let alone noodles. And 
amazing guy, leads a seminary in China. He, got, he was detained last week, and he was told he has 12 days to get out of the country um, or, or, or else, and he doesn't know what the else is. And so, like, our church, that feels like a hindrance. Or we've read through the book of Acts, and the church has, has endured persecution and riots against the church and all kinds of opposition. That feel, I mean, Paul's in prison. That feels like a hindrance. And then you just boil it down to like all of our individual lives. Why, why, like why faith in God is, is so difficult. Things we experience, burdens we face, things that we walk through that, that may, it just feels like there's hindrances all around. And so you look at the world and it, it feels like there's a lot of things that hinder God's mission in the world. And yet here's Luke saying no. Like Paul's in prison but he's preaching the gospel and the gospel is going forward without hindrance. So how can... How can Luke say that and end here? And one answer, I think, is Isaiah 6. And he quotes Isaiah 6 here. And Isaiah 6 is a pretty common text quoted in the New Testament. And I'm just going to read the first three lines of Isaiah 6, which helps a little bit understand why Luke is doing what he's doing here. Isaiah 6 says, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. Um, the, we could preach a whole uh, sermon on Isaiah 6. We're not going to do that. I'm going to try to explain this really quickly. And, uh, and even though I don't have, you know, quite the, I'm from Indiana, so I don't have the KU, K-State rivalry going on. But I, from, being from Indiana, uh, Indiana University, the big, the big figure there was always was Bob Knight. And so I'm going to let Bob Knight explain Isaiah 6 to us. Uh, for, for a minute here. And, and when I was a kid, I went to Bob Knight's basketball camp. But for some reason, uh, uh, adults thought it okay to let children around Bob Knight. And my parents were one of those uh, adults that let me spend time with Bob Knight. And uh, it was every bit as bad as you might expect. Um, but there was one time uh, that I was there at the camp. And he, he talked about his favorite basketball player, the best player he ever coached, he said, was Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas is a point guard. He played in the NBA the late 80s, early 90s, won a couple NBA championships with the Pistons. And and he said the reason Isaiah Thomas was the best, best player he ever coached was because was like a lot of guys could dribble as good as Isaiah Thomas or could shoot as good as him or pass as good as him. But what made Isaiah Thomas different was that he, he, saw, he saw what was about to happen. He could always anticipate. He, he saw the game at a level that no one else did, which is why he was able to, to do things in a game no one else could do and listen. Not like that's as Chiefs fans. Like, aren't we all hoping that's true of Patrick Mahomes too? Like, he can throw the ball really far. He can throw it really accurately. But can he like not just do that? But can he anticipate? Can he see what's coming and lead to good conclusions? And and, and what's happening in Isaiah six is that there are people who are like who see and hear what God is doing, or they see and hear what's happening, but they don't. They don't really see. They don't really perceive. They don't really, they don't really hear. And the reality is it can be easy for you and I to look at the world and to see hindrances to what God is doing all around us. And what we should see, maybe, uh, to like actually see or to actually perceive what's clear from Isaiah 6 and from the book of Acts is that, that my agenda is not God's agenda. And God's agenda, which appears full of hindrances, is very different than how you or I would operate in this world. And I think that's why, a part of why Luke ends the book of Acts so, so open-ended. Because granted, like we actually, we can, Luke probably, probably wrote Acts with already knowing what happened to Paul um, post this house arrest. 
In fact, he, he hints here of, of what does happen, which is when uh, Luke says in verse uh, 30 that Paul was there for two years, it probably means Paul got out of prison. Um, in this instance, he got out of the house arrest. And the reason for that is when Paul was accused by the Jewish people in Jerusalem and Paul appeared to Caesar, he had two years for his accusers to come and, and to, to try out their case before Caesar about whether or not Paul should be you know, put in prison or killed or whatever. They'd have two years. And the fact that Paul was in Rome for two years probably means his accusers never came to him, never, uh, never made it to Rome to make the accusations, and Paul was never put under trial. But Luke doesn't say that explicitly. He only hints. Um, and, uh, and, I, and I think there's a reason that, that Luke sort of, he's saying that's not the point. The point isn't what happens to Paul. That he wants us to ask instead, is, what will happen to the church? What will happen to Jesus' mission? Will that be stopped? What will happen? And I think Luke wants us to ask those questions, because when you begin to think about like, all of the opposition in both Luke and Acts to the mission of God, like, we should never have made it here. Like, we should never have made it to Acts 28. We should never have made it like, here at Trail Ridge this morning. There were so many times that Jesus should have been stopped in the course of his, his mission and time on earth and the, the, the birth of the early church. And if you go back to the beginning of Luke's gospel in Luke 4, the first sermon Jesus preaches, he preaches in his hometown, right? Everyone should have said, there's cute Jesus, we like him, this is the, right, we knew him as a little kid, and they should be excited. But what happened is Jesus preaches the sermon, and they, they want to kill him at the end of it. Like, Jesus should have been stopped right there. Or you fast forward into Luke's gospel, Luke 22, you have Jesus about to go to the cross, he's in agony, and he asks his friends, the disciples, to pray for him, because he's about to die, and his friends, they fall asleep. Right? And Jesus had every indication of what kind of people he had to work with at that point. And he should have shut it down right there, but he doesn't. He goes to the cross. In Acts 3, the disciples, they're threatened with uh, arrest or with persecution if they continue preaching the name of Jesus. It should have stopped there. In Acts 8, Stephen is actually killed while this man named Saul holds people's uh, clothing so they can have a better range of motion to stone Stephen to death. Jesus and his mission should have been stopped right there And then you go through Acts 15 through 28 and you see the church in different cities persecuted. You see riots started against the church. You see church leaders stoned. You see in James 12, James, one of the early apostles, is, is killed. Like this should never have gotten off the ground. And then you come to you and me. Like all the reasons you and I have for, for giving up on the idea that, that, that God is real or that he is, is true all the wrong turns we've made in this life. Christians, maybe we've done harm to us in our lives. Like none of, none of this should have happened. And yet here we are. And so the, like, I think Luke at least wants us to partially just kind of reflect on what in, in our own lives, like what are the things you look at and say, oh, that's a hindrance. I can't, until that's gone, I can't move forward. Until that goes away, like, I, you know, we can't, we can't make progress. Because Luke just wants to say, that's not true. All right, there might be hindrances to my agenda and to, to what I want to see happen in the world, but there are never hindrances to Jesus and his mission. And it's why Luke ends Acts 28 with Jesus in prison, or with Paul in prison, under house arrest, and yet the gospel going forward without hindrance. And so that, I think that's one reason why that Luke ends this sort of open-ended, is that he wants, like, the Christian mission, there's always two things that go together, is is suffering and difficulty and trials. And at the same time, Jesus is never stopped. He's never stopped. So that, uh, that's one reason for the open-ended ending to Acts. The second is, is Luke wants to make clear that Jesus is not done. 
Not just that he, he won't be soft, but like Jesus himself has more to do in this, this world. And so he, what, what, like, what is Jesus doing? What's he, what's he at work in this world? No, there's lots of ways we can explain that. The way, the way we think about that at Christ Community is Jesus is primarily about three things. He's about the multiplication of churches, like church planting, healthy churches growing. He's about the multiplication of disciples, people coming to faith in Jesus and growing into a depth of faith with Jesus. Um, and thirdly, multiplying leaders, in that Jesus it doesn't just want you and I to like make the church a place where we, we get away from the world, but actually like we're, we're taught up, we, we grow, we, we, uh, we are, are, are deepened in our faith, and then we go out into the world and we lead in our neighborhood, with our families, with our friends, with our vocations. Like, we're not just people who get, are getting by in the world, but we're leading wherever God sends us. And that mission, like we believe, just continues to go Forward And so how that's lived out here in, in Shawnee, like there's three practices that we, we need to continually be about, continually live into, continually do, to join Jesus in the fact that he's not done, he's not finished, he's still at work. So three practices. The first that we see with Paul here is, is the practice of hospitality. And I love what he does here. Paul, he's, he's basically, he's under house arrest, but he invites people to come and to, he's going to share Jesus with them. And so uh, it says, uh, starting in verse 23, it says, From morning till evening, Paul expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And then verse 30, it says, Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. And Paul first is incredibly brave here because the people he's welcoming in are Jewish people. And it's Jewish people that have accused him and, and think that they, like he's taken their religion and completely destroyed it. And so they're the ones who have accused him and have, uh, have, have, have arrested him. He's the reason, why he's in they're the reason why he's in trouble. And yet Paul welcomes Jewish people in to, to share the gospel with him, despite the fact there could be serious consequences if the people he's preaching to turn on him. And so Jesus, or Paul, welcomes... These people in, because he, he, he's assumed, like, Jesus is not done with them. They could hear the gospel. Some actually believe. But beyond that, Paul's spirit is just one of welcoming to all, all, to, all, all who come to him. That all are welcome, all with questions, people who are skeptics, people who are, are seeking. And so we, we want to be a place of hospitality that's open, to, that's open to skeptics, where no questions are off limits, where people can can learn and, and see and under who's Jesus? What does he mean? And so I would, just this morning, how are you helping us create that space here as a church, whether it's in your community group or, or Sunday morning? How are you helping us create this hospitable space where all are, are welcome? The last week I saw that one of our, our, our uh, families was, uh, there were some new people checking us out last Sunday, and uh, one of our families just like, kind of met in the hall with them and just talked through most of second service last week, just had a conversation, listened, and engaged these new people. And, and that, was like, that was impressive to see because the, the family who was talking to those new people had young kids. It was clearly nap time. Their kids were like running around the lobby and they were just ignoring, like just not ignoring their kids. But you know, it was like, it was like kids, like this, we can blow through nap time to, to make sure this new family knows, like you are welcome here. What are your questions? Who are you? We want to get to know you. You matter. And that, whoever that new family is and whatever that conversation was like, they left they left this place feeling all are welcome here. Like you can come in, we'll listen, we'll talk. And so how are you helping us create that space? Because for all to feel welcome, they need that attention. They need space for questions. They need space open for community. 
And so are you helping us drive that forward? And if not, like, or, or, or even, I think, just a broader question, what, what hinders you from that type of hospitality? What hinders us from that hospitality? I think for a lot of us, probably just calendar, right? We're just already scheduled to the max. And so to invite someone over actually requires there being time for us to invite someone over to our house or to create space for, for what Paul, the sort of ministry Paul is doing here. I think that's one reason, but I, I think probably more importantly, like, I think it's easy for us to forget that like Jesus is not done. That he's at work. Like our lives as Christians is not like to go to try to figure out what kind of work we can do and talk God into helping us do that work, but instead to just be alert to what God is already doing and to join him in that work. To be to like to believe strongly Jesus is not finished with his work. That you believe that? And does that drive you forward into opening your lives up to other people that through you, like God is going to use you to welcome other people into the space of, of exploring whether or not Jesus is who he said he is? So hospitality, that's, that's one practice. The second practice is, is honesty. And in verse 30 and 31, uh, we're told Paul, he proclaimed the kingdom of, the God, uh, the kingdom of God and he, he taught Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. And the word boldness there, what it means, and not just like Paul was like, you know, super strong in what he had to say, but that what, like literally what the word boldness means is out in the open. He didn't conceal it. He didn't hide it. He just, he just laid out who Jesus was and kind of let the facts speak for them themselves. And I think that a lesson for us to take away from that is, is listen, like our, Jesus and his kingdom is completely at odds with the broader culture in which you and I live. And there's points like of, there's commonalities, sure, but for the most part, we're just two very different ways of seeing the world. And I think as Christians, we can want to at times, like maybe like dress Jesus up, help him look a little better, make him a little less offensive, you know, kind of tamper him down a little bit. And, and, and that's not what Paul is doing here at all. He tells the truth about who Jesus is and, and, and with this faith and this expectation that, that, that Jesus can, can sort it out for himself. We don't have to dress Jesus up or make him look more compelling because Jesus, who he is in and of himself, is a compelling person to worship. And so these are two things. I think a lot of times churches get one or the other right. Like either the church is like, we're just going to tell you who Jesus is and we don't care anything other than that. Or like, oh, all are welcome and we don't really know. Like Jesus said some things. We're not going to really talk about those. Like we have to, you have to get both right. Radical welcome. All are welcome. All your questions are welcome. There are no questions off limits. And yet coupled with this confidence that Jesus is true and he's compelling and we don't have to hide him. We can say who he is. So hospitality, honesty, and thirdly, like, the way we live out Jesus' mission is to be a people of hope, to practice hope. And I love what Paul does here. Like, Paul, he preaches the gospel primarily to Jewish people here. And for Paul, he deeply cared about that. Actually, if you, if you read in Romans, the letter he wrote, uh, uh, <clears throat> which is the next book in the, the New Testament, there's this moment where Paul says um, he would gladly give up his place as a Christian if it meant all the Jews were to, to come into faith. He so desperately wanted Jewish people to come to faith in, in Christ. And yet it, here, as he, as he shares the gospel with people, there are a lot of Jewish people who don't respond to what Paul has to say. And yet Paul, he's, he doesn't sulk. He doesn't get negative. He, he just says, that's okay. I'm going to take this message to the Gentiles. They will listen. And there's just a sense of hopefulness and expectancy that, that like God will act, that God will be at work in the world. Uh, there was a few weeks ago where... Uh, um, 
or Andrew, uh, he had a meeting with us uh, that he just didn't have high expectations for and just was sort of expecting it to be a hard meeting. And yeah, like you just have those. I and mean, we all have those meetings. As pastors, we have those meetings. So he was ex- just expecting just a really hard and disappointing um, meeting. And, and he went to it, and then, then he, we got together. We were debriefing the meeting, like, what, how'd it go? Like, what happened? And he was like, it was awesome. It's like it's the complete opposite of what I was expecting. And, and it was a really great meeting. And so we, uh, talking this out, we just thought, like, what are... What are, like, values we want to have as a church that, like, we it's just things we want to say that are true we want to hold to? And one of the things that came out of that conversation, we just want to be people who expect God. Right, we expect God to show. And whether it's good or bad, we're just like, there's just hopefulness. God is at work in the world. And we're, whatever meeting I walk into, God is already there. He's already at work, and so I just need to expect him. And so, of course, like, it's a week later where uh, I was going into a meeting that I wasn't looking forward to, and I was kind of being negative, and I was like, gosh, I don't know, it's going to be tough. And Andrew, he looks at me, he's like, Tim, expect God. And I was like, Andrew, be quiet, right? Like, I don't, I don't really care. Don't use my words against me. Like, just, you know, just be quiet. And, and, and yet, that, like that, there should be this sense as Christians that Jesus is not done, and therefore, every place we go to, he's at work, whether it's really hard or really good. He is at work there. He is not done, which means our, our job as Christians is not, is not to be people who go figure out work that God can do that, that he's going to join us in, but to instead live life with an expectancy. God is at work all around us. How can I join him? Where is he calling me to join him? Do you, do you have that hope, that expectancy of, of God to be at work? Do you, see, do you see the world as it really is? God at work all around and that's hard. That's hard to believe in constantly. And I think that's why Luke ends Acts the way he does, just very ambiguously. Paul's life is in danger. He's under house arrest. And yet he's preaching with all boldness and without hindrance. It's clear as day. Jesus is not finished. He's not done. But that, that, the end of Acts is not just an encouragement to you that nothing stops the mission of Jesus or that he's still at work in the world. But ultimately, the reason why I think Luke ends, uh, like, the book of Acts with Paul, like, mid-sermon is because this is a call for you and I to join in to the mission. That the reason why Paul, or why Luke doesn't land the plane of the story of Acts, why these so many open loops still left, is because Paul, Luke is making the point, like, it's not, we're not finished yet. The mission continues, like, the church continues. The work of God in the world continues. And so that's where I want to end together, is that Jesus is not done, so, so join him. So come with us. It's Simon Sinek. He, uh, he wrote a book called, uh, it starts with why. We, we talked about it, uh, we've t- or we've talked about it in other spaces. But um, one of the things he, he talks about is that, that, you know, oftentimes when you and I, like, we're engaged in difficult work, is that um, the hard part is not, like, not knowing what to do or how to do it, but often it's having a compelling why to go and to do the thing that we, it's really hard to do, the thing we don't, maybe don't want to do. And, and I think we all need a why to, like, to be on mission with Jesus or with the church because all of us um, will experience things we define as, like, look like hindrances to us. Like, we'll all, we're going to have crises of faith. We're going to have moments of serious doubts, serious frustrations, senses of betrayal from God that he's, he's abandoned us or that he's left us. That's all over the scriptures. And it's one reason why I've needed Acts, to read story after story after story. Not of, like, brilliant Christians with brilliant strategies who do brilliant things, but, like, Oftentimes, like God forcing Christians to do things they would never have done if God hadn't forced them to do it. 
And the, the sense that throughout Acts, Jesus is at work in his church and reaching people that the church may never have reached apart from Jesus being at work. I've needed that, those stories again and again and again. I've needed Acts 8. The, the story we looked at at Easter, the Ethiopian eunuch who lived at the very ends of the world, who had, had traveled great distance to, to, to look for and to seek for God, and God sends Philip to him to preach the gospel to him. And the, the, eunuch, the, the Ethiopian eunuch is baptized, comes to faith in Christ. God chases him down. Or, or uh, uh, Laura mentioned Lydia earlier, um, that Lydia is a successful businesswoman who had already switched from pagan religion to, to as a Jewish believer seeking out the truth, had a Bible study by the river, and Paul goes to this group of, of women and, and teaches the gospel, preaches the gospel to them for the first time, and Lydia becomes a church leader. Like, God seeks her, seeks her out. And Paul, of course, right? Paul is, is shipwrecked. He's stoned. He's, like, riots are started because of him. And, like, like last week, like, he's shipwrecked, and then he's bitten by a snake, which just feels like, I mean, it just feels, like, insulting, right? Like, it's like, God, like, what? What are you doing? Like, not just, hey, I'm going to shipwreck you. Also, here's a snake. Like, enjoy, right? This is just, God is just like over the top there. And yet Paul ends up at Rome, and he ends up preaching the gospel, and he ends up without, without hint. Like, Jesus is still at work, and that is the story of Acts. Actually, Luke begins Acts by saying, I want to, I want to tell you the story of all that Jesus began to do and teach. Like, he's not done is, is Luke's entire point. And that's why Acts 28 ends with Paul mid-sermon and the plane still off the ground and the mission still happening so that you and I can join. And it's not just Acts. It's true, it's true today in our, our church that when I think about where we are and where we've been, there are stories in this room of marriages that have been saved, of addictions that have, been, um, have found healing in. It's, we heard Laura's story of life change earlier. We found, there have been people who have found community in the midst of death and suffering and, and trial that Jesus is not done. But here's the thing. That those stories that I just shared and all of our stories this morning, like Acts 28, they are open-ended. The plane is still in the air. And Jesus is still at work. Do you believe that? It's hard to believe, right? There are a lot of things that hit us as hindrances that make us think, is God, like, is, Paul's in prison. What will happen? And Luke says... The Christian faith from the beginning. Actually, you go back to Genesis. From the beginning, the, God, the work of God alongside the fact that this has been an unstoppable force in the world is suffering, is trial, is what appear to us to be hindrances. And yet those things have never stopped the work of God in this world. Like none of us should be in this room right now. Like should, this, all, this all should have been shut down a long time ago back in Jerusalem. And listen, like all of us probably have stories in our lives of things that have been done to us, Christians that have harmed us, ways God has disappointed us. None of us should be here, and yet we all are here because the, like the fact that we are here is the evidence that Jesus is not done. And the one time, it really should have been all over, right? Because God sends Jesus into the world to save us, to give us humanity good news, and what do we do? Like We take the Son of God and we put him on the cross, we crucify him there, we don't just kill him. We also like mock him in open shame. Like, we publicly just try to, to um, humiliate him in death. And he's laid in a grave. It should have been over then. And yet, for the last 2,000 years, ever since that moment Jesus was laid into the grave, Christians have found the work of God in their own lives on every continent. This morning, people from all over the world are worshiping Jesus as God. Every continent, every place, every tribe and tongue 
and nation. And Jesus is not dumb. That is the why of why I'm a pastor. I hope it's the why of why you are a Christian is this this convincing reality. Jesus is not done. The plane has not landed and he is still at work. And if that's hard for you, I understand. I get, like, I get it. because that, That's the point of Acts 28. Paul's in prison. House arrest. He may die. And Jesus is not done. At the same time. So if that's hard for you this morning, we're going to do two things uh, over the next few minutes. One is we're going to take communion together. And if, if, if it's hard to believe God is, is not done or that it's hard to believe he's still at work in your life and you're ready to give up, that is the place where we are we are reminded his body was broken for you, his blood was shed for you, and he invites you to his table. And that he promised his church he'd be uniquely present through this meal communion. That's why we take it every week. Jesus' body was broken for us, his blood was shed for us, and he invites you to his table. And then after communion, we're going to watch uh, a video of baptisms. Because um, Jesus gave us kind of two acts as a church to practice again and again and again. It's communion and baptism. And during that baptism video, our prayer is that, that our skepticism will be, will be flooded with images of God at work in people's lives. That we believe Jesus is not done. That's why we exist as a church, and we hope you will, you will come with us. Let's pray. God, I, I, so much of what we do here is the con, just the conviction that whatever, whatever we preach, whatever we sing, whatever we do... God, we're, we're just trying to create space for you to be at work in people's lives. And so, Holy Spirit, would you, through communion, through worship, through watching the images of baptism, would you flood our hearts with the hopefulness that you are at work in powerful ways in this world? God, show us. Give us eyes to see. <laughs> Give us ears that really hear that, all that despite all the hindrances in our lives and around us,